Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Adrian Tan Show. In a recent Quadrix employee experience study, it has found that employee experience scores in Singapore have stalled after three years of improvement. What does this actually mean for employees and employers? To help us understand this better is Dr. Cecilia Herbert, a principal behavioral scientist and one of the contributing authors of the study mentioned. Dr. Herbert is a doctor of organizational psychology and supports organizations across Asia to design, mature, and grow their EX programs. Welcome to the show, Dr. Herbert. Thanks for having me. It's, it's a real privilege to be able to speak with you and, and your listeners in Singapore. Thanks for having me. Where does this podcast find you? I am actually located in Sydney, Australia. One thing that I'm really, really lucky to have is that I get to work in an Asia-Pacific capacity. I have done for for many years, actually. So I was previously leading the Asia-Pacific team for the XM scientists, what we call experience management scientists. So our advisory team supporting organizations with Qualtrics, building their employee experience programs. And prior to that, leading a team and, and doing some work with Google in the Asia-Pacific region in their people operations team, working with them to lead out their diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. I still get conversations or even comments from people when mm -hmm. I would ask them, what do you think employee experience is? I can guarantee mm -hmm. you in Singapore, if I cherry pick five different HR people, each of them will give me a different answer. So yes. let's set the record straight on this podcast. Exactly what is EX? And also, we mentioned about the scores being not as good as we had we wanted it to be. What's some repercussions or examples of repercussions of poor EX scores? As you mentioned, I'm a doctor of organizational psychology. So I always love to define my terms, or as we like to call them, constructs, you know, upfront, so that we all know exactly what we're talking about. So we have that shared language. So when we're talking about employee experience, employee experience is that shared collective understanding of the experiences that employees are having with the organizations they work for. So this is everything from your technology systems, from the way that you get your feedback from your manager, the way you get paid, all of those experiences all come together to accumulate to what we would call employee experience, that collective. Now, we also talk about EXM or employee experience management or employee experience programs. And these are the, the technology or the analytics programs that we put in place in organizations to be able to listen, understand, and act on insights about people's experiences at work. We tend to look at critical points in their employee experience journey with their employers. So obviously you can't track every single interaction, like every time you tag into your building with your security pass or, or check in on your site office. We're not sending you a survey to ask you how that was every single moment of the day, but we do have ways of understanding those experiences, maybe in different ways, but we also have a way of really getting deep into the experiences that matter most to the employers, their teams, and the organizations. So that's what we mean by employee experience management and the employee experience programs that we put in place are the ones that we use to understand those experiences, to send out those insights to the people that need them, who can improve those experiences, to make those experience improvements, and then also to check and see if those changes and those things that we're doing, those 
iterative improvements that we're making are actually leading to the outcomes that we expect them to. That's why these programs are so important. So you've got these evidence-based processes in place in your organization. So to your second question that you had there around, is it going up? Is it going down? So the way that we look at it is we will track certain metrics and we love to standardize them. So we like to say there are clear employee experience measures that you can use. You can use them consistently across different organizations and different countries, and you can benchmark them against different industries and different countries, but we need to have a shared understanding of what those things are. Now, generally speaking, Employee engagement is our hero metric. It is the one that is used to look at employee engagement and, and how engaged people are. And, and that's really, I mean, organizational psychologists, we love to use the word effective commitment, which is like that emotional relationship that we have with our employer and with our work. And it's really measured in three different ways. When we talk about engagement, it's really that feeling of having personal accomplishment in your work. It's that feeling or that experience so that you would be willing to recommend this company that you work for as a great place to work and that you feel motivated to go above and beyond, to give that extra effort to really lean in and try your hardest at work. If you've got those three things in your employee base, you are set up for a whole bunch of great outcomes in terms of productivity, in terms of team effectiveness, and a whole series of other things that cascade from that. But that's really what we call an outcome of a great experience. So if all of those moments in your day and weeks and years with that company have been positive and, and they've been good, your employee engagement is going to be high. If those experiences, daily experiences starting to get poorer for whatever reasons, you'll see that engagement metric go down. It's a lag indicator. So when we're looking at it at the company level, which a lot of people do, but you can also look at it at the country level to say, well, what's going on for employees in Singapore this year? And how is it maybe different from this year to last year? And then if you have enough people doing your research, which we do, you can start to look at, well, if it's going up, why? What's driving that experience? Why is it going up? And then if it's going down, well, why? Why is that experience going down? What is changing? So the metric itself going up or down, kind of interesting. But what's really interesting is understanding what is changing. What is it that people need or what is driving their experience at work to help them feel engaged? And there are other metrics like inclusion, well-being. There's a whole series of those outcome metrics, which we could totally get into. But understanding the unique drivers of those experiences and those trends for Singapore or mm -hmm. even globally is really, really helpful when you're in these roles and you're in these organizations and you're sitting at your desk thinking, oh my goodness, where do I even start? When you look to research like this, it gives you a, a place to begin to look. As per the headline of your most recent report, employee uh -huh. experience score has stalled in Singapore. So it's mm -hmm. neither going up or it's neither going down. It has been probably cons constant with how it was before, That's which right. I guess could be something quite worrying given your description of how it mm -hmm. may have an impact in the entire organization. 
Mm-hmm. What are some of the reasons that this is happening? The only thing that I could think of has been this constant struggle between companies and their employees in companies wanting people to come back to office, employee wanting yeah. to work at home. But I believe there could be more reason behind it. What are you seeing in terms of the data? It's important to un- look at these metrics and sort of understand what they are and what they represent so that we can judge them. You know, there's, there's no such thing as good or bad. Obviously, when you see something change dramatically, usually it's because there's something wrong with the way it's being measured. <laughs> but uh, having consistency or stabilized metrics around something like engagements, it's, it's, it's okay. Like it, this isn't a financial metric. It's not a growth metric. It doesn't go up and up and up. You know, your absolute maximum engagement you could ever get is 100, right? Like it can yeah. never go over 100. So, so you know, expecting it to always increase isn't, isn't a realistic expectation for us to have, that it will always go because there's only so far it can go. And actually having a stabilized number and actually having it be consistent over time, that's actually a pretty good outcome because the way that stati- the statistics kind of work is that we tend to kind of come back to the center. Like we get used to things. It's like the temperature of the water. Like you get in the bath and it's really, really hot. And then eventually you kind of acclimatize. It's mm. the same sort of thing with engagement. You know, it might jump up, but then it might come back down as we sort of even out. And that's okay. But I think when you're looking at outcomes for organizations in terms of like, what is the point of engagement? Well, the point of engagement is that you're understanding things like productivity. You're understanding things like how effective or easy it is for people to do their jobs or to achieve their work goals. And when you start seeing those kinds of things drop, that's when you start to look at engagement and you think, okay, well, well, what could we be doing? What, What kind of strategic levers can we be pulling to look at what's engaging our employees and how they've changed over time? And I think return to office is definitely one of those. And those, those changes that we've been through where we actually saw globally throughout 2019 and 2020, productivity went through the roof. Like we actually saw productivity against what, I mean, I'm not an economist, but I would have expected when we went into a global pandemic that you would see productivity decline because we'd get busy dealing with like our health and things like that and not worrying about work so much. That is not what we saw. We saw a global community of human beings come together and absolutely go above and beyond and give everything that they had to make it through and to ensure that our communities and our families and our companies that we work for were successful. And we actually saw productivity go quite dramatically. Since then, though, we have seen it come back down. And it's been kind of slowly in decline economically over the last, you know, over the last few years, we have seen productivity go down. But as a leader of an organization, you've also got a lot of economic instability. You've got a lot of uncertainty. You've got productivity declining. You've got all of these things kind of coming together. And that's when people start to look at, okay, well, what can I do? to turn this around? What can I do to make a, a quick change that will course correct on a lot of this? A lot of them have gone straight to working from home mm-hmm. as the most salient and the most obvious shift that has happened and then have taken steps to course correct on that. 
I have a bunch of hypotheses around like, and we're actually seeing some great research coming out as to why those decisions get made. But I think essentially is, is that it's something that leaders and, and HR leaders feel that they can do. That's a quick shift to kind of course correct on some of these metrics that they do see kind of declining, whether or not it's like how it's done and whether or not it's effective is maybe another question. <laughs> and that is in some cases, yes. And in some cases, no. I want to jump onto some of the trends, some of the emerging trends mm-hmm. that you found yeah. in the study, all five of them. The yeah. first one is sometime in the office is better than none, unless yes. it's five days. So yes. that's the first one. Employees right. would rather AI assist them than evaluate them. Frontline yes. employees are unhappy, poorly supported, and least trusting. This is pretty interesting. The new mm-hmm. job honeymoon phase has vanished. And also lastly, employees are more comfortable sharing work emails and chats for an improved employee experience, but more ambivalent about social media posts being used. There's so many mm-hmm. we can talk about, but I really want to touch There's on the There's a podcast the in each one. one of those. <laughs> yes, exactly. So... Some time in the office is better than none, unless mm-hmm. it is five days. And going by the stats, when it's five days, the score starts to go down yeah. compared to, of course, zero days in the office or two to four days as an average. Mm-hmm. So what is this actually telling us? On another note, I've been seeing so many leaders, so many different companies making it in the news, not for the best thing, but because they are so insistent on everyone coming back five days a week. Yes. Why is that happening when the study is telling them, don't do five days a week? I have a bunch of hypotheses and, you know, there's part of me that wants to go back to university and go and do another PhD just to study this because I think it's a really complicated thing that we're seeing. So you've got a bunch of different systems all kind of interplaying here. You've got the organization and and the way that we work and you've got the way that, you know, societally, the way that we've been working from home and we've, we've been present for our kids or we've been present in our communities and we've established new patterns and new habits of working. There is a huge amount of things coming in and it's, it, it's complicated. And I think that with anything that's complicated, there's no simple solution. Like there never is. It, that's the nature of a complex challenge is that there are iterative improvements that you make towards better outcomes, but there is no absolute right answer. So I think if you're a leader and you're looking for like the perfect number, like how many days a week do I tell people to come back to work? The answer is there isn't one. There isn't a number. I can't give you a magic number to say it's three days a week back in the office. That's your absolute. And that's what you need to tell everybody to do because it's far more complex than that. Hmm. And I think taking into account this nuance is where we end up in, you know, what we like to call a, a paradox where, you know, there's, there's two things that are competing with each other that need to both be true at the same time. Like we want to be clear with our communications about what our expectations are for employees, but we also want to have enough buffer in that, that there is the ability for people to individualize it and accommodate for their own individual team and organization needs and, and how, how to get to those best outcomes for them. So finding that space in between, it's hard. And so this is why we're seeing a lot of people not get it right. Hmm. And I think we need to be open to not getting it right. 
you know, you see a lot of organizations out there, and I think a really great case in point was Atlassian recently. When you look at what Atlassian did, which is an Australian technology company, they have gone hybrid first. You know, they have gone remote first as the, for a bunch of different reasons. And there's a few principles in there that I really, really loved. And I am a big believer in not going and taking what someone else is doing, their best practices and applying it, but looking at what they're doing, understanding the principles or the intention behind it and learning from that, and then applying what will work best for your organization. So when I look through what they've done, I see a few key principles. One is that it's evidence-based. They have done the work to understand what it is needed for in terms of the employee experiences in order to get the best outcomes for their teams, for their organization, in terms of what it is that helps them work best together and then work from that. So using that evidence-based best practice, being curious, being scientifically minded so that you can make those decisions. If you don't have good employee listening programs in place or good employee experience programs in place, that's really hard because <laughs> you just don't have the data. You, you mm. just don't know. So a lot of these leaders are trying to make these decisions in a vacuum with the absence of any information about the employee experience, which is why it's so important to have these metrics in place and showing how they connect to business performance or the organizational outcome so that you can look to them for guidance when solving for these complex problems other thing that they did, which I thought was really great, is iterating towards better, trying something, seeing if it works, learning from it, and then moving to the next thing, rather than this idea of, we're going to make a decision here in this room, we're going to communicate, and that's it. We're done. We're putting this, this topic to bed, and we're all just going to move on. That doesn't work either, because again, you're going to be iterating towards better solutions and be and learning from those things. And, and we need to both be open as leaders and, and it's almost being very vulnerable in that way and saying, I'm going to have it right. I'm learning as well. And I'm coming on this journey with you. It's really hard to do that as a leader. It really opens you up for a lot of criticism and, and for a lot of vulnerability but it does, and it does mean that you have to be listening. It does mean that you can't just be doing your annual engagement survey and checking mm. in that way. It's an ongoing conversation and continuous listening and continuously propagating those insights and continuously adapting in response to what you hear, which is what experience management is. It's a tool that it isn't just a survey. Mm. It is a tool that helps you continuously learn to propagate insights and to rapidly adapt. So adopting that experience management way of thinking and way of operating is, and whatever that looks like in your organization is critical. So I think that's where we're seeing it work well. And there's a lot of people who are doing this and they're not making the press. There are thousands of organizations that are getting this right because hybrid working is the new way of working. Hmm. This isn't something that's a fad. It, it is all these return to office mandates are a version of hybrid working. There are very, very few saying five days a week. So there's a lot of people who aren't absolutely getting it perfect and they're not making the news because they get, they're, they're using these practices internally and they're connecting it to their organizational performance. 
So I think that's where, you know, when you, when you say like, what's the answer most, like as a scientist, I'll say there isn't one, <laughs> but there are a few core principles and practices that you could be putting in place to get it right for you. Absolutely. And I think those many other companies that are not being featured in the press, they should be in the press to show us exactly the right thing that they are doing. And mm -hmm. it also gives me a sense that the company that somehow got onto the press, they may have listening tools, but they are not actually listening. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in the press. So They wouldn't be in the press. Yeah, they yeah, wouldn't be in the they news. Wouldn't be in the right. press. So I, I, think, I think leaders, organizations really have to listen to their people. And of course, there are certain things that I believe companies can also take away from the successful companies like Atlassian and all that. And also based on your study, it does show the engagement score between two to four days on average, let's take it three, yeah. seems yeah. to provide the highest engagement across all. Mm -hmm. Being in the middle is better than on either side of the spectrum. So mm -hmm. I, I think that tend to give companies a good insight or as an anchor that three days perhaps may give the biggest outcome. But ultimately, it is up for them to decide. Would three days be the best for them? Three days may work yeah. for most of these people, but it might not work for you. So I guess it also take into consideration the kind of business you're in, the kind of people you're dealing with, the generational preference may also play a big part in that. And that may be different within your company. There'll be different pockets. There'll be different teams who are doing different types of work. You've got frontline teams who are mm. customer facing. You might have, you know, product teams that, just working, you know, collaboratively with themselves, you know, th there's HR and operations, there's every single team that you're all working to the same organizational goals. And so this is where it's important to kind of anchor on a few truths or a few, like I mentioned before, like principles. This isn't about where people work. This is about how people work. And I think if we start to think about how people are working rather than where people are working. It changes the conversation significantly because there's a few things we all agree on. First is connection matters. Mm -hmm. We want, like people want to come together. And we can see from the data that working fully remote isn't the preferred way, but neither is fully being in the office five days a week. So we know that coming together and connection is still important. And you can see that we're all in universal agreement with that. We're just sometimes disagreeing on the details. <laughs> and I think if you look at the office, and, and of course, we're talking about office. Hmm. A lot of people don't work in offices. You, yeah. I've got my, my sister. She is a horticulturalist. She gets out there and she builds urban gardens every day. And COVID happened, she was just working in urban gardens on her own. <laughs> so it didn't really change. So we really are talking about a segment of mm. the workforce, which are the people who work in offices. So it's not even everybody. Thinking around this, the, the office or the, the physical workspace, there is one of my peers, Steve Hunt, he is one of the thought leaders for SAP. He came and spoke to my team recently and said something that I just have never forgotten. He said, the office is a communications technology that was invented before telephones and the internet. <laughs> it was designed to help people come together and communicate and to get our work done efficiently. 
So skip forward to 2024. We now have modern ways of working. We now have multiple communication technologies at our fingertips. Hmm. Are we adapting, evolving our use of communication tools and technologies to meet the needs of the modern workplace? Mm-hmm. So this thing we've got to be thinking about, not just returning to the office, but how do we redesign that office space for the purposes of what we're trying to achieve, which is collaboration, connection, mm-hmm. community, all those sorts of things. Because if you haven't designed that, if you haven't rethought about that physical space, people aren't going to want to come back to it because it's not going to serve that need. Thinking through it are not around these blunt ways of thinking like everybody has to return to office, we need to get back to the way that things were done. That's faulty logic. And I think that is what people are rebelling against. But if we think about it in terms of we like to connect, we all want to come to work and do a great job. I don't know anybody that like, it's very, very rare to meet someone that says, I want to go to work and do a terrible job. (laughs) We, We want to do our work. We want to do well. But we also want to do it in a way that's efficient, that maintains my health and well-being, that provides for my family, that cares for my needs, that gives me the, the growth and development that I need to feel connected to it. They all want, we all want the same thing. We are all actually more in agreement than we are in disagreement. So what we need to start thinking through is the intention behind what we're trying to achieve, connection. And then the other thing that we've learned, and we know this, is that the difference between equity and equality. So there's this old thinking around equality, that everybody gets the same thing. Hmm. It's only fair if we tell everybody in the company they have to be back in the office three days a week. No ifs, no buts, no coconut. That's what we are doing. We are not going to deviate from that because that is what is fair. But it's actually quite unfair because it disproportionately impacts some people more than others. Mm -hmm. And so what you're actually trying to achieve is equity, which is equal outcomes for everybody, which if you come from the diversity space, this isn't a new concept. We've been talking about this for decades which is how do you get equal outcomes for everybody? How do you create individual accommodations and flexible working options that help people craft their work, craft their roles in a way that helps them be at their best and to deliver their best work? And that is at the team level, that that is negotiated and that those team bonds need to be set, obviously within boundaries and obviously within framework that is set mm-hmm. by the organization, but there needs to be that, that flexibility within those boundaries that people can craft what works best to get the best outcomes for them and their teams. Unfortunately, what we're going to see is, is, is that we saw with the pandemic, with everybody working from home, the main mm-hmm. reason, there was a study recently done, the reason why productivity went up is because People were able to work from home and people who weren't able to engage fully in work before suddenly were. You had this huge untapped workforce, parents, all sorts of people who were now at an equal playing field. And look Mm. what happened. Our productivity shot up. The minute that you tell everybody that they're all going to be held to the same standard, that just doesn't work for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. 
you are going to have the unintended consequences of actually killing off a bunch of productivity and actually narrowing your available talent pool of who can fully participate. And that's the exact opposite of what you are trying to achieve. So this is why those principles and the intention Mm. behind what we're trying to do and get clear on that, using data to see how you get towards that, Mm. and then making decisions that iterate towards better, that is the way you'll have a winning formula. So I wish I could say, everyone needs to go back to work three days a week. That's your magic number. It just isn't that simple. (laughs) Many companies would position themselves being fair, but often it is because... In a way, it's also an easier thing to do rather than personalizing a program or framework for each and every single individual, especially for smaller companies where they are just, you know, they may have a HR that also does office admin, that always also does facility. There's only so much time that they have. But I, yeah. I think looking at where the trends are and looking at all the data that is in the report, it does come with a bit of concern because if this continue. I think we are going to be in a worse off situation moving forward because of this constant struggle between employers and employees. But we've, we, have, we have so much more to discuss, but we're running out of time. So I just want to understand, where do you see this going, given the people that you've spoken with, given the data that you've crunched, coming to, into 2024, what, are you, what do you expect to see and what do you expect not to see? One thing I... I'm really, really thrilled about is, and I mean, I've been doing this work for a long time now. I think I'm in, I've passed the 20 year mark in my career, so I don't count anymore. One thing that I'm really seeing is using employee experience programs or employee listening, however you want to, to call it, as strategic business tools. And I think historically, we're, we're breaking out of this way of thinking about employee experience of being an annual engagement survey to actually being a conversation that we're having with employees and that you don't have to wait for that annual event to share all of your ideas and your feedback. There is actually technology and platforms that you can use to do this at scale. So if you're a smaller organization, having a conversation with your employees is is pretty straightforward. But once you get over about 500 employees, it gets really, really difficult. The thing is, you can use these new and emerging technologies such as, when we say continuous listening, it's things like we saw in this report. Employees are okay with people, with their employers, using email content or the, the, the chats that they have on their internal socials like Slack and things like that to actually start to pull out key themes and key sentiments So you've got your finger on the pulse of what's going on for your employees at that point in time. And then building and with AI technologies and integrations, better data governance around this to obviously protect employee privacy. But data governance is also about having useful data that you can actually connect to your organization's outcomes to show that when your employee experience is impacted in this way, it has these business outcomes. So I'm seeing this come to the front more and more. It used to be that employee experience sometimes would have a bad reputation in that, you know, employees tell the employers what they want and the employers say that they can't have it. 
And then there's this back and forth and, and that isn't it at all. It's actually a business intelligence tool because your best ideas to your most complex challenges are sitting in the, in your employees. They know your customers. They know your systems and processes. They know your products inside and out. So if you're looking to make efficient business decisions around cost to serve a customer or a reduction of process length so that you can be more efficient in the way that you, you know, run your services. If you are looking at ways to get ideas or, or innovations on, on how you can improve your customers' experiences, the answer to all of those are in your employee. So using it as a tool for business intelligence, as a strategic business tool, not as the annual employee sentiment tracker where you have this like big chunk of data and then you all go through it and then you build these action plans around culture and then none of it gets done because other business priorities come in and end up taking over. That Those, those days are sort of becoming less and less. We mm. still love the engagement survey, don't get me wrong. As a key part of your toolkit of understanding your employees, what's driving engagement, and having those bigger strategic, you know, people plays is really, really important. That still plays that role. But this idea of actually having ongoing conversations with your employees, connecting those insights to the people who could do something about it, your mm. IT teams, your frontline managers, your, your individuals who are out there doing this work every day and giving them access to these insights to help them make better decisions. That is what increases your organization's ability to adapt, to change, to be more agile. That's what I'm seeing. And I am here for it. <laughs> I, I, I've spent a long time working to elevate the voice mm -hmm. of employees and working with business leaders to let them know that this isn't, this isn't benevolent. This mm -hmm. is smart business practice. Yeah, it's also benevolent. It's also nice. <laughs> it's also a nice thing to do. You could be both. <laughs> the employees out there, you're already hiring all these warm bodies and they come with a brain. Might as well use it, right? So <laughs> it's really important for them to start listening and get their best ideas from their people. Yeah, but if they start from trusting them, listening to them, supporting them, equipping them with the best possible workplace, whatever that yeah. might be. For them yeah. to function, for them to flourish. I, I think we are see, we see this more common in sports, where yes. you do whatever it takes to really push your sportsman or sportsperson to 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 do even better year after yeah. year. You throw in sports science, you throw in yoga, you throw in acupuncture, whatever works, <laughs> you throw it in just to make sure that they can perform at peak level. So I think it's also time for employers to start looking at that as well. So yeah, there's so much the more that we can, person. yeah, there's yeah. so much more yeah. that we can discuss in this episode, but we're running out of time for people who may be keen to learn more and read more of this data and this report, where can they go to? Definitely check out the Qualtrics website. If you go to Qualtrics.com, the first thing it's going to do is take you to all the different employee experience and customer experience products we have. But if you go and have a look around for our employee experience trends research, you'll also find it there. I'm lucky enough that I get to work with a, a small team that we call XM Institute. We are okay. the people that publish our thought leadership and research. So you can go directly there, xminstitute.com. 
and everything that I've created and published, it's all there along with our customer experience and other human experience research and thought leadership. You'll find it with a bunch of tools and ideas as well uh, to apply some of these findings to your daily work. I highly encourage every listener to take a look at this report, download report, share it among your friends, share it among your peers, so that next year when Dr. Herbert and myself have this conversation, we can talk about all the improvements that we are seeing yeah. compared to the previous year. Or maybe another topic that isn't return to office. Yes, probably. <laughs> this will be, can be done and we can move on to another thing. <laughs> that, thank great. you, Dr. Herbert, for coming on to the show. Lovely having you on the show to share with us all these insights. There's so much more we can talk about and I hope our listeners can find out more for themselves when they go and download the report. With that, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Thank you, Adrian. Thanks for having us.